Good afternoon. I'm Shelby Herbert, and welcome to Midday Magazine for Tuesday, February 21st. Petersburg's Borough Assembly will meet tonight at 6 p.m. in the Assembly Chambers. They're planning, they're set to hear new items of business about borough land transfers and the local emergency planning committee. At tonight's meeting, the Assembly will address the transfer of state lands around Thomas Bay to the Petersburg Borough. The Alaska Department of Natural Resources is managing the transfer of the 550-acre parcel of vacant land. Members of the public can submit comments on this proposal until this Friday, February 24th. The Alaska Department of Natural Resources is also overseeing a separate transfer of more than 2,500 acres of land to the borough. This transfer includes sections of land throughout Fanshawe Bay, Crowley Point, Sumner Strait, Hood Point, and Southeast Mitkoff. The deadline for this public comment is March 3rd. The borough will also appoint new members to the Local Emergency Planning Committee, or LEPC. The LEPC is a congressionally mandated program intended to increase awareness of local hazards. Its mission is to bring residents into discussion about discussions about appropriate emergency response preparation to disasters in the community. Aaron Hankins, who directs Petersburg's LEPC, requested the approval of three new members. The candidates are Jim Floyd, Kurt Cavisto, and Petersburg Harbor Master Glorianne Wallen. These appointees would serve a three-year term ending in December 2025. In last in last week's session, the Assembly voted to approve Borough Manager Stephen Giesbrecht's performance evaluation. Only two Assembly members, Dave Kensinger and Jeff Miucci, voted nay. Right now, Giesbrecht is traveling to the Alaska, Alaska Municipal League Winter Legislative Meeting, so there is no manager report for this session. KFSK will broadcast this evening's assembly meeting live and post the recording on our website, kfsk.org. Anyone from the community can join the meeting in person, by phone, or on Zoom. There's more information on KFSK's community calendar. Wrangell's Borough Assembly has joined the chorus of Southeast Communities condemning a lawsuit filed by a Seattle-based environmental organization that threatens to shut down the Southeast King Salmon Troll Fishery. Sage Smiley reports from Wrangell. Wrangell's Assembly unanimously voted to speak out against a lawsuit targeting Southeast Alaska's King Salmon Troll Fishery at a special meeting on February 17th. During an initial discussion on Valentine's Day, Assembly member Ryan Howe said he finds the suit baffling. Because I'm like I listen to this. I, I got a finger on the pulse of like what is a healthy fishery, what is an environmentally sustainable fishery. And Alaska fisheries are well managed and they're from other organizations like you know like the, the environmental organizations if you have to, if you want to put a point on it they like will recognize the Alaska fisheries as being well managed sustainable fisheries that take care of fish and communities so this is baffling and just crazy 
to me. The lawsuit filed by Seattle-based Wild Fish Conservancy alleges that the National Marine Fisheries Service doesn't give enough weight to the impact of Alaska's king salmon harvests when it comes to an endangered population of orcas known as southern residents, which live around Puget Sound. The lawsuit leaves the future of the southeast king salmon troll fishery in the hands of a federal judge in Washington state. Assemblymember Bob Dalrymple says a potential shutdown could have a big impact on Wrangell. I'm very concerned about this, and uh, I totally believe it affects the uh, well-being of the community. It has direct effect, could have a direct effect on us. Brett Stilwa is the Wrangell board member of the Alaska Trollers Association. He testified to the assembly that he thinks the suit could be a slippery slope. I believe if the trollers are shut down by this lawsuit, It'll pave the way to shut down all commercial and sports salmon fishing in southeast Alaska. As a basis for this suit is a NOAA National Marine Fisheries flawed biop, an incidental take permit. The same biop used to justify the sport, troll, seine, and gillnet fisheries in southeast Alaska. Stilwell says he believes the suit is also misdirected. There's some conflict over whether the orca's food source, king salmon, is really the issue at all. Plus, the troll fishery isn't the largest consumer of kings. Our small boat artisan fishery, a thousand miles away, is catching an average of 400 Puget Sound kings a year, denying the southern resident killer whales those fish. Meanwhile, the Washington State sport fishery catches 84,000 Puget Sound kings in the Straits of Juan de Fuca every year. The statewide Trollers Association is not named in the lawsuit, but is actively fighting it. As a board member, Stillwell requested a donation of $7,500 from Wrangell's Assembly to help with the fishing organization's legal costs. Many other southeast communities, including Port Alexander, Pelican, Sitka, Petersburg, and Ketchikan, have donated or are in the process of approving donations. But Assemblymember Dalrymple said he didn't know how Wrangell's money could help. You know, this, this is a lawsuit... Um against National Marine Fisheries Service, so it's already fully funded by quite qualified um, folks to to deal with that Department of Justice. So I'm not sure what our our funding would go to or what Alaska Troller Association would use that for. My my impression is they're probably getting ready for an appeal. And maybe that's another time to get back a little more specific on on funding needs for that. Some other assembly members expressed support for adding a donation to the trollers group, but ultimately Wrangell's assembly passed a resolution without a financial contribution to the cause. In Wrangell, I'm Sage Smiley. Mary Peltola returned to Juneau Friday morning to make her first address to state lawmakers since becoming the only Alaska Native person elected to the U.S. House. Peltola is a moderate Democrat. Bipartisanship is her motto, and this speech was on brand. Alaska Public Media's Liz Ruskin reports. Ladies and gentlemen, the U.S. Representative for the great state of Alaska, the Honorable Mary Sadler Peltola. Peltola says her new colleagues in Congress sometimes ask her about the Alaska model. She was happy to learn they were referring to the state legislature's long experience with bipartisan coalition leadership. I think people ask me about this Alaska model because they realize that business as usual in D.C. isn't working anymore. Slowly and surely, the partisan rancor from recent years is losing its appeal. People are remembering that politics, first and foremost, should be about fixing things and not just launching cable news careers or racking up retweets. Peltola's predecessor, the late Congressman Don Young, always declined the invitation to address the legislature. 
Peltola was largely unknown in the state when she filed to run for his seat last year. For her, this speech was an opportunity to shape the image she wants to convey statewide as the newest member of the state's congressional delegation. She kept it to 16 minutes, much shorter than the U.S. senators usually run, and devoted a lot of that time to the value of working across the aisle. She passed along wisdom she said she learned from former Alaska House Speaker Ben Grusendorf when he was negotiating the final finance package of the year. There were people who wanted, you know, revenge, you know, um, these, these end of session deals. And he said, no, no, everybody has to save face. And I think that's a real valuable lesson that was very, um, it really stuck with me as a legislator. Peltola represented Bethel in the State House for a decade, starting in 1999. She helped revive the Bush Caucus, a block of legislators that pressed for the needs of rural Alaska. Peltola is also credited with establishing Cuspuk Fridays. Legislators and staff in the state capitol still wear Cuspucks, cotton-hooded jackets with front pockets, to mark the end of the work week and give a nod to the native people of western Alaska where Cuspucks originate. After her speech, Peltola told reporters she'd rather be remembered in Juneau for more significant deeds, but she said she's come to appreciate that Cuspuck Fridays have helped change the culture of the capital and made rural residents feel welcome. I've heard stories of people who were scared and terrified to be here and then felt a lot more comfortable when they saw that everyone had their Cuspuck on. So I'm thrilled that the, that the tradition continues and, and to have been a Part of it. Peltola's speech this year comes between those of the senators. Dan Sullivan spoke last week. Lisa Murkowski's will be on February 22. For Alaska Public Media, I'm Liz Ruskin. Six varsity basketball teams from across the Alaskan coast came to Petersburg last week to compete in a multi-day tournament. The Varsity Vikings won all three of their games, and the Varsity Lady Vikings lost all three of theirs. The boys scored the most points on their first game, coming in at 72-34 to against the Juno uh, Douglas Crimson Bears on Thursday. On Friday, they beat the Klawak Chieftains 70-36. to They won Saturday's game against the Unalaska Bra- Raiders, 50 to 34. The Varsity Lady Vikings lost all three of their games. On Thursday, they lost 34 to 22 to the Klawak Chieftains. Then on Friday, the Ketchikan Lady Kings beat them 44 to 13. On Saturday, the Lady Vikings played their closest game in the tournament against Unalaska. They played the Raiders in overtime and lost 40 to 32. Dino Brock, who coaches the Lady Vikings, said that many players on the girls' teams were out or recovering from illness last week. The Vikings will face off against their school rivals in Wrangell this weekend for the final game of the season. 20 pounds of methamphetamine were seized last week in what law enforcement is calling one of the largest drug busts in southeast Alaska in recent years. As Eric Stone reports from Ketchikan, a regional drug enforcement team worked together to locate the meth, 
which was bound for Alaska on a ferry. It all started with a tip. Alaska State Trooper Sergeant Casey Hirschberger contacted the Southeast Alaska Cities Against Drugs Task Force to say he'd heard a shipment of meth would soon make its way towards Alaska, and it would be big, 10-plus pounds. Lieutenant Craig Campbell of the Juneau Police Department explains. Yes, we received some information um, from down south with some partnering law enforcement agencies that there may be a person traveling to Juneau on the Alaska Marine Highway system that was carrying a, a large quantity of methamphetamine. The meth would get a heck of a ride. It would sail through the inside passage on the crown jewel of the Alaska Marine Highway fleet, the ferry Columbia, from Bellingham to Juneau. But after a trip up the coast of British Columbia, the meth's journey was interrupted in Ketchikan. Acting on Hirschberger's tip, a state trooper and a Ketchikan detective boarded the Columbia with a search warrant for stateroom 151A and its occupant, 43-year-old Oregon man Michael D. Davis. There, they found a blue duffel bag. Inside, says Ketchikan Police Lieutenant Andy Berenson, were 18 packages of meth wrapped in tortillas. <laughs> that is correct. That was a new one. So it looked like big old overstuffed burritos. The packages totaled roughly 20 pounds. That's upwards of a million dollars worth of meth. Officers arrested Davis and took him to Ketchikan Correctional Center, where he's facing a felony drug charge that carries a maximum sentence of 10 years in prison. Information on bail was not immediately available. While Davis's journey ended in Ketchikan's jail, the blue duffel bag continued north on the Columbia, along with what investigators describe in court documents as a representative sample of the seized drugs. But now the bag's traveling companion was Jack Ford, a Ketchikan police Police Department detective. Again, Juno Police Lieutenant Craig Campbell. Throughout that investigation, we were able to determine that the end goal for that methamphetamine was it was supposed to go to uh, a person in Juno who was supposed to pick it up at the ferry. When the Columbia docked in Juno's Auk Bay, Detective Ford walked off the ferry with the blue duffel and a phone seized from Davis. According to court documents, investigators believed the meth was coming from Miles Martin, an Oregon resident and the son of 59-year-old Juno woman Nanette Brown. So Detective Ford texted Brown to let her know he'd arrived. Soon afterwards, a silver Nissan pickup pulled up. The driver told the undercover detective to put the bag in the truck, and the two went their separate ways. Shortly after, police stopped and arrested the driver, who they identify as Nanette Brown's husband, 60-year-old Rodney Brown. Then, officers' attention turned to the Browns' Vista Drive apartment in Douglas. They watched as Nanette Brown went to a neighbor's apartment carrying a multicolored bag. Police say it contained two ammo boxes, one with nearly $70,000 in cash, the other with more than half a pound of meth and roughly 150 pills thought to contain fentanyl. Police arrested Nanette Brown and searched her home. According to court documents, they found nine guns and another cache of meth. The Browns are facing two felony drug charges and a felony weapons charge. All told, the bust was among the largest in recent memory. Campbell, the Juno police lieutenant, says it's the biggest he's overseen in the three years he's been in charge of the department's drug unit. He says he expects it'll make a dent in the supply of meth in Juno. I think that's going to be a huge impact. I mean, we don't see that quantity come into southeast Alaska. and that's very, very rare. Um, so in any time that we you know, make an arrest where the lot or good amount of quantity is. We hear about it, we, you know, from people from the community who we have uh, partnered with and have contacts with. Beardson, the Ketchikan lieutenant, says he expects the 20-pound bus to reduce the supply of meth in smaller communities throughout southeast Alaska. And he says that's the goal of the regional task force. Though drug trafficking is sometimes thought of as a victimless crime, Beardson says that misses the bigger picture. When people get on these types of drugs, they aren't the people they used to be. They do things 
uh, out of desperation. Uh, they do things because they need to get the drugs, and so that just trickles into all other <clears throat> areas of crime. Berenson says in recent years, it's also become somewhat rare to see bus aboard state ferries. Many recent bus have been tied to air travel or the U.S. mail. Berenson chalks it up to a couple of factors. You know, the, the sailings haven't been as frequent in, in recent years. And, um, you know, drug, drug dealers essentially like uh, a couple things, one speed and two reliability. All three defendants have pleaded not guilty. They're due for court hearings in the coming weeks. Reporting in Ketchikan, I'm Eric Stone. That's a wrap. Accused smuggler hid 18 pounds of meth in tortillas, police say.